Okay, so grab your Bible and turn to Proverbs, and uh, we're going to look, finish up our study today on wisdom with your words, Lord willing. Uh, We're at that section in Proverbs, those of you that are new, we're going verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. Uh, In in, uh, traditional way, in uh, the first part of our study, now we're in the second part of our study where Proverbs goes topical, and so we're kind of looking at different themes week to week. We find ourselves this morning looking at the, the topic of wisdom with our words. And uh, just by way of introduction, um, we talked last time about why our words are so important. In fact, uh, Jesus is going to say a couple of times, um, uh, well, you remember the story where um, uh, the Pharisees were gathering together and uh, his disciples came and the, and the Pharisees noticed that the disciples were not going through the ceremonial washings of their hands before a meal. Now, now, footnote to all you moms in the room, that that's not a verse on hygiene. It's not about washing your hands before mealtime like we all do with our kids. It's a ceremonial washing. It's a religious washing. And um, so they get the Pharisees call out the disciples saying to Jesus, hey, what are these guys doing? They're not they're eating, eating without unwashed hand, without unwashed hands. What's the deal? And Jesus uses that to talk to them about what really defiles you. Because in the, in the eyes of the Pharisees, to eat with unwashed hands in this avoiding the rituals, ritual washings that the Pharisees invented, um, that, was, that made you unclean before God. That made you defiled before God. And Jesus said, you know what? It's not what you put into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. And he said this, he said, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed wicked thoughts, fornications, adulteries, thefts, uh, deeds of coveting and wickedness. And he, he gives this big list of all these things that we can do that are sinful. And he said, all those things proceed from within, and that's what defiles the man. So don't worry about the ritual washings. The reality is what you need to be thinking about is what comes out of you. And in that context, he talks about our words. So he says, on another occasion, by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. And the reason is that your words, my words, reveal us. It reveals who you are. It reveals your heart. And so when when Solomon picks up his pen and he sits down with his boys and says, guys, we're going to talk about your words. There's a reason that Solomon spends so much time in the book of Proverbs talking about words. If our words reflect our heart, then this is a very, very, very important topic because who we are in our hearts ultimately is what really matters the most. So just by way of review, last time we talked about the the reality that we are made in the image of a speaking God, that that's something unique to human beings because we're made in the image of likeness of God and no other creature is made in that image that we speak as a reflection of the God who made us, who is a speaking God. And uh, so that's a unique facet. Our words, our ability to speak is a unique reflection of the fact that we are image bearers. We also talked... Uh, as we just noted a moment ago, that the wor- that our words reveal us. We call that the revelation of our words. Um, and there's the Luke 6. Um, the mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And uh, so you guys picked the wrong side to sit on. I'm sorry. Um, this thing is overheating, so Mr. Slaughter is going to try to keep it up and running. But if for some reason it goes out again, uh, I will try to... I know you can't see that, probably most of you. I'll try to give you the blanks at least. Okay, so... 
let me know if I miss one and I'll try to help. Okay, so the word, words reveal us, the revelation of our words. We talk about the power of words, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit, that we have such great, it, it's potential, right? Our words are potential. They can be used for wonderful purposes, or they can be used for horrible purposes. Uh, James chapter 3, which we looked at last time, says, we use the same tongue to bless God and tear down our neighbor. And that shows you how our words can really go either way, depending on how we use it. And then we talked last time, just a couple of these uh, words that hurt. We talked about words as a weapon. A godless man destroys his neighbor with his mouth, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. We talked about excessive speech. Um, and again, I'll, t- I'll jump to the front of this list, being a pastor, that uh, we have to talk, those of us that speak for a living have to be careful about the economy of our words. Um, some of you may have the opposite problem. Some of, you, some of you may not want to speak when you should speak, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, but, but here's this, this uh, very um, telling verse, uh, do you see a man who is Hasty in his words. There's more help, hope for a fool than him. Uh, the verse that says, where words are many, transgression is unavoidable. And then we concluded last time talking about flattering speech. Uh, of course, flattery is when we tell another person what he wants to hear, but from an insincere or selfish motive. And um, so we talked about that. Uh, the, the, you know, sometimes we think, sometimes I think we're, we're, we're encouraging somebody when we do that, because it makes them feel good in the moment. But Proverbs says, you're not helping them. That's the wrong type of encouragement to offer. So we need to be careful about flattery. Okay, so let's pick it up, talking about words that hurt, and let's talk about angry speech. This is the next, uh, the first blank on your notes there. Angry speech. Uh, turn with me in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 12. And uh, all of these will be listed on the PowerPoint, but it's better if you follow along in your Bible just so you can see it in the text there. Um, this is, this is um, as you know, Solomon is talking to his, his family, his children. And one of the things that we appreciate about Solomon is his creativity. Uh, you'll notice that Proverbs... Uh, let me ask you this. Are you reading Proverbs still? Some of you are still reading Proverbs? Okay, good. Um, do you enjoy reading Proverbs? I don't know if I've ever met any Christian that says, I really don't like Proverbs. I mean, everybody likes Proverbs. It's, it's a favorite book. And I think, I think there's two reasons for that. One is you can read one verse and have enough to think about the whole day. And, and sometimes, you know, that, that's good, right? If we don't have a big time to, to spend. But the other reason I think we like Proverbs is it, it puts, it's put, it, bleh, it puts truth in such a picturesque way sometimes. And, uh, Solomon knows that, um, Children get bored, right? Sometimes they get bored, okay? Sometimes they get bored. Sometimes they get bored, okay? And uh, so mom and dad know this. And you know why mom and dad know this? Because we were kids once and we got bored too. So Solomon, under the inspiration of God's very Holy Spirit, writes in a way that's really, really interesting and really compelling. And one of the, one of the ways he does that is he uses these word pictures, okay? So, so listen to this word picture. Okay, and tell me if you've ever been on the receiving end of this, or perhaps you've been on the giving end of this, but here's the picture, okay? There is one 
who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. Okay, just think about that. Um, if I brought one of the Fesmar boys up here and I handed them a sword and I said, um, see this whiteboard? I want you to destroy it. Right? And it would be gone in a matter of seconds, right? Okay, so that we understand what the damage a sword can do. Now, 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 think about that in terms of words. Have you ever been on the receiving end of words and it felt like somebody was stabbing you with a sword in, in how you felt? You ever, you ever been on that end? Okay. Maybe it was a very critical, very hurtful speech. Um, parent, coach, teacher, sibling... Okay, that's the imagery here. And, and notice there, there's a there's potential here again, right? There is one who speaks rashly, but the, by the like the thrust of a sword. But what the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, so we can use it for ill, we can use it for good. But notice, notice. Okay, and and I know what you're thinking. When we were kids, we learned sticks and stones may break my bones. But words or names can never hurt me. Solomon says, eh, no, that's not true. They can really, really, really hurt you. And that's going back to what Jesus said, thinking about what Solomon has said. People that speak rashly or out of anger, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly, a man of evil devices is hated, An angry man stirs up strife or conflict. That word strife means conflict or quarreling or fighting. A hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. And you know that, right? A person who has an anger problem doesn't just have an anger problem. He has an anger problem and he's got six other problems related to his anger problem. And when you couple anger with speech, you have a man that walks around that has a sword coming out of his mouth and it does great damage in the relationships that are near him or her um listen to this one look at uh, 2528 2528 go ahead and turn there and we'll we'll talk about uh self-control here in a minute but listen to how listen to the picture here I, I love the picture the first one is some one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword uh this next one a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression listen to this like a city that is broken into and without walls let's just stop right there in this day and age, if you had a, like, if we went down to, to Granbury, to the, to the courthouse, the, the square, and we saw a wall that was broken down, we'd go, oh, city needs to get on that. Right? You know, that, that, that establishment needs to fix their wall, right? But in this day, if you had a city that had a broken wall around it, it wasn't just a cosmetic thing. What, what does that signify? Danger, they were unprotected, and why were they unprotected? Okay, are you guys awake? 
Okay, talk to me here. Cities in this day had a wall around them. Why? For protection. Your wall goes down. No protection, right? It would be it would, the, the modern uh, equivalent today would be if our if our missile defense system went down. You know, the defense system we have in our country that shoots down any enemy missiles. We would say, hey, we're unprotected. Okay, so there's your 21st century equivalent. And this day, it's a physical wall to keep people out, the bad guys out. So if it's broken into and it's without walls, what is it? It's an easy target. Okay, you got the picture? An easy target. Like a city that is broken into without walls, so is a man who has no control over his spirit. You say, how is a man that lacks self-control like a city that is broken into without walls? He's an easy target. He fall. He, he's easily attacked. Anything gets to him. Easily. Because he has no self-control. Okay, so all of these things relate to anger and our speech. Um, you know... Um, We'll talk about this in a minute, but I, I think angry speech is probably something that we can all relate to, right? Uh, some of us might yell and scream and raise our voice and say really horrible things. Some of us get really quiet when we're angry and we say these little comments just these little teeny tiny, you know, these are not the people that have trouble with the excessive words that we talked about a moment ago. They say these little comments that are like dagger things, just little subtle things that are designed to just poke somebody. But as James says, brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Um... God gave us a mouth to bless our brother and to bless our sister and to praise our God, not to tear them down. You remember what uh, Ephesians says, Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Right? That's a wrecking ball word. You, you ever seen where they like implode a stadium or a building, <laughs> it all comes down? He says, you know what, you can talk like that. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, right? To build up. Good for edification according to the need of the moment that it will give grace to those who hear. Okay? So there, there's that same thing. You can use your words for great destruction. You can use it for great help. So angry speech would be another form we want to avoid. How about this? Gossip and slanderous speech. Now let's just make sure we're all on the same page there. Gossip is sharing with others information about another that is inappropriate to share. That's gossip. It's sharing information with others about another person that is inappropriate to share. And, and let's just stop that and think about that for a minute. The Bible limits what you can talk to people about, doesn't it? Right? I mean, can you just share anything you want with anybody at any time? Not according to Jesus. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault privately. Right? You handle that privately. You don't go tell everybody about it. You don't get on social media. You don't go texting your friends. You deal with your brother privately. 
And, and that's, that's a respect thing, isn't it? Isn't that respectful? You know, you get at odds. And this happens, right? It's not like, you know, oh, this horrible thing happened. Someone sinned against me or I sinned against me. No, it happens all the time. It's normal. We're sinners. But we, we handle it wrongly sometimes, don't we? We, we? we advertising it. And this is where I think social media is, is so telling, isn't it? Look at what people post on Facebook. And what they talk about on Instagram and, and what they text their friends about. And you think, you know, I, I, well, I don't have any way of quantifying this, but, but I, I think that the church has a huge problem with gossip. And, and we know that just by looking at social media. So we need to be careful. The Bible limits what we can share. Slander, a little bit different, is shared speech which is designed to hurt another person. Okay, so, so we can, we can, we can sin in our speech either by sharing information that we ought not to share or sharing information that's designed to hurt somebody in some way. That's slander. Listen to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Now, I love this. Um, this is one of those things where a very small child can understand this. You say gossip and slander. Maybe a very small child wouldn't quite understand that. But listen to how Proverbs describes this. And again, this is the wisdom of a father. He says to his children in chapter 11, verse 13, he who goes around as a tale bearer reveals secrets. What's a tale bearer? What's that? A tattletale, a, a gossip. Okay, what, anybody have a different version that says something a little different? What's that? A slanderer? Okay. He, he who goes about as a talebearer, a slanderer, someone who's sharing things. Notice here, reveals secrets. And the implication is, it's supposed to stay a secret. But, but notice this. What does slander and gossip do to you? Look at the next part of the verse. But he who is, what? Trustworthy conceals a matter. Gossip and slander destroys trust that you have with other people. I mean, you know how that is, right? If you're struggling with something and you're going to sit down and share with somebody because you're hurting or you want advice and you don't trust that that person is going to keep that information confidential or at least within the sphere of agreement, whatever you have, you're not going to trust them. You're not going to go talk to them anymore. And you're going to have a very super, superficial relationship with people like that. And, and this happens, guys, in marriages. This happens in families where families are distant. Families are, are superficial and shallow because there's no trust because of this. It happens in friends. You know, good friends, you know, destroy their friendship because somebody doesn't use self-control to think, hey, should I be telling this to this other person? In fact, that, if you're a Christian, that, that's a great, great test. I mean, before you pull out your phone and open your Facebook app or pull out your phone and open your texting app or say to somebody at Starbucks, oh, did you hear? Just ask yourself a couple of questions. One, is there anything in the Bible that prohibits me from sharing this information to this other person? Two, would it be honoring to God and helpful 
to share this information with this other person. Three, is this appropriate for the need of the moment? Ephesians 4.29. Four, is this going to build up and give grace to them? Is there anything about this information that if the other person we're talking about was sitting at Starbucks with us or sees it on Facebook, may not be happy with? And you know, all we got to do is just, we, and this is what's hard, because some of us, it's like phone, boom, and, and it's out there for the world to see before we've even thought about it, okay? Um, using your phone before you've thought about it is bad on 27,000 levels. So let's be careful. Okay? Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man spreads strife. That's what God thinks. When we do this, God says we're perverse people for spreading strife, for spreading gossip and slander. And notice, notice again, a slanderer separates intimate friends. Okay, so, so young people, please learn these truths now. Be a person that is trustworthy. And the one way that you develop that is by developing a reputation that you don't share things with other people that are not appropriate. And you say, well, what if I'm not sure? Right? What if I don't know if I should share that information with somebody else? Well, that's where you find somebody who does have integrity, who is trustworthy, who is older than you and more mature in the faith and say, hey, can I ask you a question? And you don't have to give them the person's name or all the details. Just say, I've got the situation. Can I tell my best friend? Can I tell my... Uh, co-worker and you know that's that's good to get counsel we're going to see that here in a minute but be careful number three lying or deceptive speech this is very similar to gossip and slander but this is just the the big bucket of lying chapter 12 verse 22 lying lips are an now there's a word here look at it in your bible 12 22 what does your bible say lying lips are a what abomination Anybody have a different translation? The Lord detests, detests it. Yeah, this is really strong Hebrew language here. Abomination. That's that, and, and obviously God is opposed to all sin, but the Bible indicates that there are certain sins that he condemns more severely, and this is one of them. Um. Proverbs says there are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes and a lying tongue. Okay? So we see that. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Notice this. But those who deal faithfully, meaning truthfully, reliably, are his delight. Let me just ask you a, a theological question. Why do you think that God hates lying so much? Any ideas? What's that? Okay, the pain that it causes. Sure, a lot of destruction. Anybody ever been hurt being on the receiving end of a lie? Right? Okay, uh, someone else. Why does why does God particularly despise lying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why. I, I agree with you. I think there's definitely... Lots of fallout from it. But when God uses strong language like this, you go, he's got a reason. 
And we can't pound the pulpit on this. We don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say it explicitly. But it would seem that one of the reasons that God is so opposed to lying is that's what started this whole thing. That's why the world is the way it is. Because a liar came into this world and taught the human race to believe a lie. And as you know, as, as wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ... Lying is always a part, deception is always a part of every sinful, wicked thing we do. And there's a reason that Satan himself is called the father of lies, or the deceiver. So, uh, there are a lot of things that are opposed to God and his holiness, but but lying versus truth is very, very close um, to the character and nature of God in this way. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. Think about that. Um, when you lie to somebody, you're actually hating them. We don't like to think about that. We like to think, well, I'm, actually, I'm helping them by not telling the truth. Eh, no, you're not. You're not helping them by not telling the truth. You hate them. That's what Solomon says here. And that's hard to take. That's really hard to take. I, I hate somebody when I lie to them. A flattering mouth works ruin. Back up a chapter, 25:18. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness. Now, now, see the pictures here? See, the previous verse, he says, you know, if you lie, you hate the person. We go, okay. Now watch him build up the metaphors. You're like a guy beating your neighbor with a club. You're like a guy piercing a sword into your friend. You are like a guy shooting sharp arrows at your neighbor when we lie. Yes, sir. I think another reason that's sort of the opposite is that the whole word of God in Scripture is supposed to be true. Mm-hmm. And so if lying is not spoken against so harshly, it's like, well, yeah. it could make you wonder about the truth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And parents, grandparents, um, when, when we were rookie parents, um, we had uh, some people, I can't remember who told us this, and then certainly scripture is illustrating it as we're seeing, talked about how severely parents ought to deal with lying in their children. Now, kids, moms and dads are going to talk here for a minute, so just hang on, but th- this is helpful. Um, I think that reflects what we're learning here because it is opposite to the truth of the word of God, because it hurts so many people, because it's what got this whole thing started. I don't think we have, I don't think we have any idea how much deception and lying really are detrimental to all things that are good. And so a practical aspect as this is a parenting manual is to see that lying is one of those things that we, we need to deal with in a more severe manner in terms of discipline. Because, you think about this, and and, uh, we tell our kids this, if we can't trust you, is there anything else that matters? If you're married, think about your spouse. Think about relationship with mom and dad. Think about relationship with your brother and sister, your significant other. If you can't trust that person, What else is there in the relationship, right? I mean, it, 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 everything is everything is birdbath superficial, right? It's just it's just shallow. 
So men and women, brothers and sisters, young people, old people, all of us, we need to heed the weightiness of this. Yeah, and, and James is right. We, we can go through the Bible and look at biblical narrative where great men of faith lied and the fallout from that. Yeah, in fact, uh, Kevin Carson did a little bit of that um, at the men's retreat. So, okay, we got to move on, guys. Argumentative speech. Some of you are saying, I don't want to talk about this. I know, we got to talk about it. Um, Proverbs 17, verse 4. 17, 4. This is kind of the bad news, and, and I'm, I'm here to tell you there's some good news coming, so just stay with me. 17.4, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so how's it go? My kids all know this verse. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the coral before it breaks out. Okay, so, so picture, um, oh man, um, You ever go to the beach, build a sandcastle, and you think, I built it far enough back from the tide that we're good, right? And then you get that first wave that comes in a little bit longer, and it sort of erodes the front part of the wall, right? And that, that's what Solomon is saying. He says, the beginning of strife is like that first little wave. A little bit of water comes in. And erodes a little bit, but abandon the coral. Because if you do not abandon the coral, the next wave is going to blow the whole thing over. And and you know this, right? You know this. What happens when when okay, married people. You're at Lowe's. And you have a house project that you're doing. And you're on aisle four, talking about a paint color. And ladies, you have You've done research, right? And you found the perfect color scheme. You've been watching HGTV and doing all sorts of reading. You got the per- and it's it's a name, it's a paint name that your husband cannot even pronounce, right? But it's beautiful. And your husband's going, "What's wrong with blue?" Because all guys think in eight colors, right? We, we don't we don't do beyond eight colors, right? So it's there's brown and red and yellow and a few others, right? Um, Talk to me. Is this true? Okay. So, and, and, and blue. Sweetheart, what's wrong with the blue? But we need to do the da-da-da-da-da-da. And, of course, the da-da-da-da-da-da is the, the super premium, no primer needed, you know, you don't have to paint it till Jesus comes, you know, thing, right? That's going to last forever. Sweetheart, that's a lot, that's a lot to pay for paint. Oh, I think it's really going to look nice. Well, you know, blue is great. Blue goes with everything. Okay, and, and, and all of a sudden, there's a little bit of tension, uh, what the Puritans called the rising up in the heart in passionate displacency, right? That, that means you're starting to get a little anger, a little, little tense, right? You're starting to look around and, you know. Okay, what this verse is saying is you need to pull your marriage car over right there and stop before you're into a full-blown fight there on aisle four. Um, 
And you know what? That, that's, that's so important. We, we have to learn to detect when a conversation isn't going. Now, some of you are like, no, we're not stopping till we solve this, right? Till we fix this thing. And this, this verse is particularly for you guys and me. Um, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. 18.6. Just look up on the, on the PowerPoint. A fool's lips bring strife and his mouth calls for blows. Why? Because a fool's mouth is his ruin and the, his lips are the snare of his soul. That goes back to what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Because it reflects your heart, your lips are the snare of your soul. Strife, fighting, arguing. 1719, just look up on the PowerPoint again. He who loves transgression loves strife. He who raises his door seeks destruction. Better is a dry morsel. This is interesting. Better is a dry morsel than with, and quietness uh, with it than a full house of feasting with strife. What is he saying? It's better to eat top ramen noodles and have a quiet, harmonious home than to have prime rib where people argue all the time. Single guys, pay attention to this one. It is better to live in a desert land where it's hot and there's no water, it's unpleasant, than with a contentious and vexing woman. Now, ladies, this isn't picking on you because there are verses that talk about, you know, loser guys too. But, gentlemen, there's there's a parallel to this. It is better to live on the corner of your roof. And you think living on the corner of your roof today was bad. Think about the corner of the roof in the ninth century when this was written, right? Okay. Uh, Then to live married to an argumentative woman. So here's what you want to do, guys. Single guys. Here's what you want to do. Um, when, When you think you got the girl, make sure... She's in a scenario where she doesn't get her way. That's very important. Okay? Um, no, don't like sin against her, like create something. No, just, just watch. Just pay attention. God will do this for you. You, have not, you don't have to do anything. You just have to watch. And watch how she handles conflict. Watch how she handles strife. Watch how she handles not getting her way. Okay? The quiet and gentle spirit that we're going to talk about here at the end of the, end of the book, that's what you want. Uh, Vexing and contentious, run. Do not look back, run. Very fast, far away. Don't have anything to do with her. 26.4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. That's what happens. When you continue in an argument, you're answering a fool according to their folly. Or at least you're, you're acting foolishly in a conversation that's turning foolishly. Okay, a couple more here. Perverse speech. Uh, turn to 17.20. 17.20, perverse speech. He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. Um, I've actually had Christians tell me that it does not matter whether Christians use swear language, vulgar language or not, um, and they talk, you know, it's all contextual and it's all cultural and... Um, not according to Proverbs, it's not. Okay, He who is perverted in his language falls into evil. We should be people who are exemplary in our language. And finally, 27, 1 and 2, prideful speech. 
And this really, this really gets to the core of so much of what we've talked about with hurtful or sinful speech. 27, 1 and 2. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Okay? So you, you don't want to go around like this in life verbally. Okay? You don't want to go about verbally patting yourself on the back. And this says, let, let, let other people praise you if you are worthy of that praise. Walk in humility. And of course, any believer is going to say, what good gift do I have that I haven't received? Right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So, so if there's any good in your life, if by God's grace you do something worthy or commendable, you know, make a touchdown, whatever it is, we say, well, that came from the Lord. And we honor Him in humility. Okay, so those are some ways we can kind of get in the ditch with our words, hurtful words. Let's talk now about some, what's the potential for good here? There are words that help. Now, there's a prerequisite to words that help. And the prerequisite is self-control. Self-control. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice, as we look at some of these verses, I want you to notice how closely the Bible relates your ability to speak in ways that honor God with having self-control. And how often the Bible says when you lack self-control, that gets you into all sorts of trouble, especially with your mouth. Okay, so notice some of these words, some of these... um, Verses with, we'll look up a couple of them and then we'll just look at the screen for the rest of them. Uh, look at chapter 21, verse 23. 21, 23. And again, notice the, the metaphor. Notice the picture here. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. He who guards his mouth. And that's not like, you know, what a football player wears or a hockey player wears. Not, not a mouth guard. It's he who guards his mouth. There's a, the picture is, you've got a soldier standing in front of you. And that soldier is looking backward at your mouth saying, should I let that through? Right? That's that's what self-control is. Self-control is like having a guard in front of your mouth limiting what goes past him. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. That's self-control. 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Actually, we'll look at several here in chapter 18, if you want to just turn over to 18. 18, 18.2, only in revealing his own mind. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now, now, now think about that verse, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go there. Social media. Right? Is this too personal? Okay. We need to do this. Um, social media reveals your heart. It reveals my heart. And this is saying self-control, a brother or sister that's walking in Christ doesn't delight in understanding someone else's opinion, someone else's conversation. You know, you're, you're there and you're going, I really want to know what, what you think. I really want to understand. It's aisle four at, at Lowe's again. And instead of demanding that it's blue, you want to understand, well, 
maybe my wife has thought about this better than I have, right? Maybe that color I can't pronounce really will look better than blue. I just can't picture it. Maybe my wife has done more research. Maybe she knows what she's talking about. You know, that's humility. That's self-control. That's saying, I want to listen. But a fool only delights in telling other people what he thinks. What's that? Blogging is the same way. Yeah, that, I don't think human nature has changed at all. I, I think what social media and blogging has done is it, it reveals the heart more easily. Um, it's a platform. You know, now, now, you think about that. With social media and, and blogging and whatnot, anything that you can come up with and post, anybody around the world can access. And you know what that does to pride? It's like, oh, wow. I can make a name for myself. Okay, a couple more. Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Don't give an answer before you've really understood the other person. How about this one? The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. What's that saying? There are often... Two sides to every story. What if you only hear one side and then you act on it? Eh, 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 right? Now don't do that. You'll get yourself in trouble. Um, now, this is really important. I'll tell you how this happens. Uh, ladies, someone comes to you for advice. And they share with you the problem they're having. And um, the husband that they're sharing with you about is not present in the conversation. Now, we're assuming it's not gossip and it's not slander. This is edifying, sharing of information. Um, learn, learn to say this. Um, what would your husband say? What's his side of this? Or maybe you can say, hey, maybe the four of us, if you're married, maybe the four of us can get together sometime and talk about this. Much better way to handle it than say, oh, well, if that's what he's doing, I would do X, Y, and Z. Okay, the first to plead his case seems right until someone else comes and you go, oh, I didn't know that. 29.11, a fool, I give you the NIV version because I, I like the NIV, how it translates the Hebrew a little better here. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. I love that. Self-control, right? A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Anyway, you get, you get the idea. Okay. Oh, and actually, we got to do this one. This is a great one. Like one who takes a dog by the ears. One of my kids did this one time. Like one who takes a dog by the ears. How's that going to go? Probably not very good. That's like one who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. But basically saying, if it's not your business, stay out of it. Stay out of it. Don't pull a dog's ears. Okay, so what does the Bible say about our words? First of all, speak the truth. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Here it is again. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. So speaking the truth, that's the main 
once we have that prerequisite of self-control, which is a constant, we're working on that. How do we use our words to honor God? One is we need to speak the truth. Uh, 14.25, a truthful witness saves lives, but he who speaks lies is treacherous. Notice the strong language again. It's an abomination. It's treacherous. He hates his brother. He's got like arrows and swords and, you know, he's got this really strong language when we lie. But notice the contrast. A truthful witness saves lives. Why is that? I mean, it could be saves lives like, like physical life, but that's probably not what Solomon is talking about here. Brothers and sisters, who or what are we primarily a witness of? The truth, the truth of God. Yeah, the truth of God, the gospel. And this is saying a truthful witness has the potential to save lives. Eternally speaking is what that is getting at. That's an evangelistic verse, believe it or not. So a truthful witness saves lives. I love how Proverbs puts it. I love this. This is so easy. You can walk away remembering it. Speak the truth in love. Just speak the truth in love, right? Truth is the content. Love is the package. Okay, Alan had a birthday party yesterday. Lots of presents that were wrapped up. Truth is the package. The wrapping paper is love, right? And if we package our words in love, the content's truth, we're probably going to be in the ballpark of honoring God. Third thing, under words that help, speak to build up. We build up and help others in our speech in multiple ways. Now let's look at a few of these. Look at chapter 12, verse 25. Looking at ways that we can build up other people. We can use our words for good. 12:25, chapter 12, verse 25, says this. Uh, we can build up and help others through encouragement. Okay, that's the first blank there, encouragement. Anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Now, this is, this is really in contrast to flattery. Flattery is when we say things that someone else wants to hear, but we really have a hidden motive or it really isn't truthful. This is telling a brother or sister who is discouraged or weighed down by anxiety or worry or fear or a trial or struggle. It's telling them truth from God's word that encourages their heart and changes their whole demeanor. So that's one way we can speak to build up is by speaking encouraging words and notice this we can i say it like this we we should not have a a hallmark greeting card style encouragement as christians you know you know what hallmark there, there are whole people whose whole jobs is to come up write cards and i've often wondered what a boring job and what, i hope they pay them a lot of money because that's gotta be really hard just keep coming up with new stuff and you know how it is do you are you frustrated when you shop for a card I've gotten to the point, I almost exclusively buy blank cards. So if you get a blank card for me sometime, it's not that I wasn't being creative, it's that I was frustrated and I was trying to cut off, you know, my right eye and my right hand to keep me from sinning by looking for more cards that have words that are edifying, because they're just not there. Even the Christian cards. You know? You could be a Buddhist and agree with a Hallmark Christian card sometimes, you know, because it's so general and so, I'm sorry, that's a soapbox. Um, we should not buy into this hallmark greeting card style of encouragement. What I mean is just saying useless things that sound hopeful. Oh, it'll all work out. 
Every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, well, lightning kills people, you know, all sorts of years. It's not. So, my God is able to supply all your needs out of the riches of Christ. That's why you should be hopeful, right? Um, in all things, God is working together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to purpose. It's going to be okay, right? Your God, my God, is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's why we can be encouraged. You see the difference? If your hope doesn't have theology in it, it's not biblical hope. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Number two, we can speak to build up by using our words wisely. Proverbs 13, verse 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Are you thankful? I think all this is probably true for all of you that you have people in your life that are wise. Right? You got some people you can go to, right? These two people right here, pretty wise people. Yeah, isn't that awesome? You're blessed by that, right? You have mentors, you have godly parents, you have friends, you have men and women that have invested in you spiritually. Even dead people, you know, some of the wisest people I know are dead. They they wrote books years ago. They were pastors, they were missionaries, and I read their books And I go, wow, that's really good. That's really wise, biblically speaking. We benefit from that. So when we take wisdom and speak it to other people, that's a way that we can build them up and encourage them. Third way we can speak to build up and help others is through counsel. Chapter 27, verse 9. And, of course, counsel here doesn't mean like you make an appointment at Granbury Biblical Counseling Ministry here and you fill out a form and you meet with one of our certified counselors. I mean, it does mean that, but that's the word is much more general. Counsel here is what all of you do at Starbucks. It's what all of you do with your friends. It's what we're going to do downstairs around the coffee and the donuts downstairs in a moment here. And notice 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Uh, fourthly, we build up and help others through correction. Correction. Just uh, You're in 27. Just look across the page at 28, verse 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. That's Oh, that's very interesting, isn't it? What's that saying? You think you're doing a whole bunch of people favors by flattering them. And this is saying, no, you're not. Actually, you're helping them more by doing what? Correcting them. Um, How's the other proverb go? Uh, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? Um, You know, it's not that we don't need to be wounded occasionally, verbally. We do, according to that verse. We need to be corrected. We need to be rebuked. Why is that so important that that we get that sort of feedback? Because we're all perfect and we don't need anything, right? Two things. One, we're a work in progress. And two, we are blind to our most obvious weaknesses. That's why we need the church. That's why we need a spouse. That's why we need parents and children to say, Hey, Dad, I love you, but you know you do this a lot. Right? Um, so he rebukes a man will find him afterward more favor than he who flatters finally there's a there's a a final way we can speak to build up and that is deliverance 31 8 
Open your mouth for the dumb, for the righteous, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. We build up other people and honor God when we defend people that cannot defend themselves. According to this verse. We'll call it deliverance. Okay? So whether that is, whether that is checking on a widow, whether it is defending the unborn, whether that is um, sticking up for a person with a disability and helping them where they can't defend themselves. Those are all ways that we honor God with our words. And finally, I think the last way we can speak helpfully is by speaking wisely. Let me give you some verses that will help us to know what wisdom looks like with our words. Okay, There's a bunch of them here. We'll just look at a few of them. Watch this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So wisdom does what? Wisdom speaks gently, not harshly, right? The wise in heart will be called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Do you want to be more persuasive with other people in your life? Do you want to influence them? This is telling you how. Underline this. This is great. Put sweetness in your speech, is what it's saying. Speak wisely. That leads to influence. Here's another one. Think about when you say it, how you say it. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Think about your timing. Now, that's an example of good timing. Here's an example of bad timing. 2714. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned as a curse. And all of God's coffee lovers said, no, wait, um, right? You know how that is. Think about your timing. Think about, think about this. A plan in the heart of man is like deep water. A man of understanding draws it out. Wisdom means when you see there's a person that has a problem, there's a need, you try to engage them to draw that issue out. Don't walk away. If you know there's a problem, don't walk away. Don't say, oh, okay, have a good day. And you're like, this guy's not doing okay. He's not. I know there's something wrong. Try to draw it out of his heart. And then finally, the fruit of the righteous is a, is a tree of life. He who is wise wins souls. There's another evangelistic verse. Wisdom means we use the mouth that God gave us to spread the truth and to call men and women to a repentant faith in Christ. Okay? Our words, our tongue... Great potential for good, great potential for danger. And by God's grace, let's use it in a way that honors him. Father, thank you for uh, this mini-study in Proverbs. Uh, Lord, we confess that we fall short in so many ways with our words. We need your grace, we need your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. First, to change us on the inside. So that what comes out of our mouths is honoring to you, pleasing to you, helpful to other people, building up, evangelizing, encouraging, counseling, defending, all these things that we've seen. Uh, Lord, uh, surely there is, there is something here that we've looked at that's impacted each one of us uniquely. Lord, I pray that we would take that to heart. Will you give us grace to be doers of the word? And by your grace and work in our hearts, help us to grow into men and women that are pleasing to you in our words. In Christ's name, amen.